0: And welcome to the July 2018 podcast. It's wonderful to have you along as always. Well, I'm looking down the the list of things I'm hoping to talk about this time. And I I like to think that we've got a nice, varied and interesting set of topics to get our teeth into. And I'm going to start by talking about something that occurred to me while I was reading a magic book recently. As part of my um, duties as the editor of Magic Scene, I'm also one of the review team. So every issue I get to see some of the latest products, DVDs, books and so on that are coming out on the marketplace and I have to take a look at them obviously in order to write the review for the magazine. And I find this very interesting because it gives me an overview of exactly what other dealers are doing. I'm a dealer myself after all. And uh, it's interesting for me to see what others are doing and what what uh, types of things that they're producing for the marketplace. And one of the things that I've recently been looking at was this book called The Wealthy Magician, which was written by a Canadian entertainer called Richie Roy. And in a book that is over 300 pages long, he talks about the fact that most magicians, in his view, are undercharging significantly for the value, for the quality, I should say, of the service that they are providing. Now, he does say, of course, that he is talking about magicians who have a very good act. And there, of course, there are lots of people out there who do. But even the people who have very good acts, he says, are often not charging anything like what they should be. And in fact, it's because magicians generally don't charge enough that the, if you like, the the benchmark for what is, as far as the Booker is concerned, for what is a suitable fee for to, for to get a magician to entertain for them is much lower than it should be. Whereas if all the good entertainers were to increase their prices significantly, then when somebody made inquiries of several magicians, then his theory is, well, they would find them all pretty much in a ballpark. So if instead of getting a quote of £300, you get a quote of £1,000, and everybody's around about the same, then it would gradually it would become accepted that, well, that's what it costs to get a magician. Now, he, he lives and works in um, a small city, he says, of about 10,000 people. And he says that for the last 10 years, by re-evaluating his own self-value and what he feels he is worth as an entertainer he's managed to move himself up into a much higher range of fees and that the bookings that he gets now when he goes out are significantly more lucrative for him than they were when before he did all this now this is not a quick fix obviously and if you've got prices that and you know we 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 all have i think a natural reluctance to put up our fees especially if you've had them for a while. You do need to do them, at least by the rate of inflation, I guess, if you want to keep pace with the expenses in your life. But it's an interesting thought that we are actually undervaluing ourselves right from the start. And it made me think, well, are we? Now, I know for a fact from conversations that I've had, and he's Canadian and maybe it's different in Canada or maybe in North America, I don't know. But looking over in the UK, I get the impression that although he says you can do this system almost anywhere, I don't know whether that is entirely true. Having had conversations with people who work in London, for instance, people who I would consider to be at the same level as I am in terms of what they provide for a performance, what I am able to charge and the sort of fees that I get are often significantly less because I'm down in the southwest of England. Devon and Cornwall are not particularly rich areas, there are no very big cities, Uh, so there is a, a difficulty of getting enough work at a very high price. You can get the occasional show, but not consistently. And I'm just thinking, well, am I just telling myself this? It's because I haven't tried it. If I was to quadruple my fees overnight then would I, in fact, get a lot less shows? I probably would. But, of course, then you have to have a bit of common sense. It depends, doesn't it, what you're offering to provide for the price that you're charging. It's not just a question of any show is £1,000. It doesn't quite work like that, does it? At least I wouldn't have thought that it did. I tend to feel that the more you do, the more you offer, then the higher the price might be. The shorter the time, the the, the smaller the show, if you like, then stands to reason it should cost less. Richie Roy would say well that's fine no doubt but the starting price that less should be higher than it is. I think it's a really fascinating thing and it's it's as much to do with the mindset probably of us as entertainers as it is of the bookers. If a booker makes an inquiry and you are out of step significantly with everybody else around in your area then the booker has a decision to make either he thinks well this guy must be really good because he's three or four times more expensive than everybody else or he thinks this guy's ridiculous he's out of my league i'm not interested in that so anybody who's interested in just getting a good deal is not going to book the expensive magician but maybe there are enough people who would book you at the higher rate you would need to do less shows, perhaps two or three less shows than you used to for every one that you do, whereas before you might do four, you could now maybe only have to do one or two and still make more money, less wear and tear on you and everything else. So interesting thought, isn't it? Um, I don't know what you feel about this, whether you're one of these people who is reluctant to put up your fees or whether you too feel that you're undervalued and maybe it's time to make a jump up to the next level. As a professional magician, I like to think that over the years, I've worked out most of the angles. In other words, I don't mean literally the angles. I mean the angles of the business and what you need to do in order to be professional in every sense, not only in the magic that you do, but in the way that you behave with the client and and, and all the other aspects that go into being a full-time pro. And you've normally... Certainly, from the mental, when you get to the stage of the length of time that I've been in it, 36 years or so, you, you do feel that you've seen just about everything that can happen to you. And yet, strangely, sometimes something will happen which completely surprises you. And this is what happened to me the other day, something that happened to me that had never happened in all the years that I've been doing magic. I was doing a show for a 40th birthday party, which was taking place in a city, well, it's not city, it was a town, really, in a town centre, in a sort of um, cafe-cum-bar. And it was a pedestrianised area. And so you, you, you couldn't really take your cars down there. You had to, you parked around the or sort of like the back of the main pedestrian area then you, you kind of walk through and it wasn't very far where I parked to get to the venue it was only about four or 500 yards so it was, it was no distance anyway, um, so um, there's nobody about it was fairly early evening and, uh, and I'm doing the walk between the venue and, the, and my car and um, suddenly I hear a screech a screeching sound of a bird and I looked up and there was um, a seagull, and it jumped off um, the top of a building, and swooped down, squawking away, and I thought, oh my God, he's going to poop all over me. And sure enough, he dive-bombed me. He came down fairly low, and let off a multiple salvo of um, of his stuff. And even though I, I suspect that was going to happen, I tried to, to jump out of the way. I sort of backed off as fast as I could. And, and although nothing went over my jacket, my trousers got absolutely covered in this stuff. It was, there was so much of it. It looked like somebody had taken a bucket of the stuff and thrown it at me. All over both legs, everywhere. So, absolutely horrible And you thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? Well, fortunately, and the bit I didn't tell you, was that this actually happened after the show, when I was walking from the venue back to my car. So that was very, very lucky, because if it had been the other way around, if it had happened when I was walking from my car to the venue, I would have had to have gone in, in my nice three-piece suit, with a mass of bird poo, which, by the way, doesn't come off very easily the more you wipe it the more ingrained it appears to be and then it changes color and all sorts it's 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 a disaster and uh, I don't I really don't know what I would have done now I thought to myself gosh that's never I've never thought about that before a lot of the time of course we park outside a venue you may only have to walk you know a very short distance to go in but it could still happen couldn't it and increasingly particularly in towns and cities. Even ones that are not on the coast, you've got seabirds and they poop a lot. And they do tend to dive bomb and they're getting more and more sort of confident around humans. So I thought to myself, how do you, I don't know what I'd do if that had happened round the other way. You couldn't, you could take a spare set of clothes. It would seem like overkill. If it's taken 36 years for that to happen to me once, if I'd spent 36 years with a change of clothes in the back of the car. Well, I suppose on this occasion, I might have be been quite glad just to drive home in a fresh pair of trousers. But nevertheless, you, you wouldn't normally think to do that, would you? But it just goes to show you that you have to sometimes think, well, actually, that was very lucky that it was that way around. And that you, you never really truly do get to experience everything that can possibly happen to you when you're trying to work. Recently, I've been listening to a few of mentalist Paul Brooks' podcasts. And although I'm not a mentalist myself, particularly, uh, I find some of his topics quite interesting. Basically, the idea of his podcast was that he he got people to ask him questions. And then each podcast, he would give a detailed answer, usually about three quarters of an hour, something like that. And although, as I say, I'm not a mentalist, and so some of the specifics to mentalism weren't particularly relevant to me... There were a few bits and pieces that I found very interesting to listen to. And he made one statement in one of the first podcasts, which I thought was very interesting indeed. It was almost like a general statement about strolling magic. And the word, what he actually said was, ''Strolling magic is not an art, it's a service.'' And I thought, Do you know, that's so right. Magicians often have this discussion, ''Is magic art?'' and there are circumstances under which i think it, it it could be classed as art yes but strolling magic when you're rushing from table to table at a busy dinner function or when you're mixing and mingling at some bustling event the really it really isn't particularly arty it's not even at times artistic you're being asked to perform in often very difficult circumstances you might be incredibly crushed into uh, one area it could be outside where it's very brightly sun uh, bright sunlight or it could be windy you could be in a situation where um, there's a lot of noise you have to contend with obviously when if it's a dinner then you've got the tables being distracted by meals arriving and drink orders and so on and so forth and so that type of magic, and he was talking about whether mentalism is suitable for strolling magic, this was the question that he was asked, and his, that phrase, that strolling magic is not an art, it's a service, I thought very neatly in one sentence summed up what it's like. What we are providing, and I've always thought this, that magic of this type, where we rush up to a group, we entertain them for five or six minutes, and then we disappear into the night again, we're a real sideshow. We are not the main event. We are a temporary distraction. And and that is the reality of it. So if you don't like that, don't do it. If you don't mind that, and there are other types of show, that sort of show that I personally like, and I've talked about this before, is three quarters of an hour of magic for a close-up magic show for an intimate group of people, say 10, 12 people, a family group, or for a uh, sort of anniversary party or a birthday or something like that I love those because you can get in get to interact with everybody properly you do you have enough time to develop your personality to get some some sort of in jokes with the people once you start to get to know them there's there's all sorts of reasons why that type of show is great whereas the table magic or the mix and mingle magic it's never going to be like that the nature of the beast is that you're in a hurry and you have to get on with it and get in and get out again. And so we are a service. We're part of the backdrop and we're not, although people love it, and that's not to say that they don't appreciate the, the one or two tricks that you show them, it's not going to be the main reason that they came to that particular evening, I suspect if it's a charity do they've they've come because they're supporting the charity if there's a band it could be that there's a feature band or it's a works do and they've come to to socialize with all their friends there are all sorts or they've come for a nice meal or whatever it might be there are all sorts of reasons why they have come to the event and you as the magician in your five minute slot when you're with them you are not that reason nine times out of ten and I think we just need to accept that and say well hey look. No, it's not art, but it is a service. There are certain plots in magic which seem forever popular with magicians. The flying ring, linking rings, card to wallet. You know, there are certain classic tricks which which magicians love to use. And the invisible deck is one of those. And I've always been uh, somebody who loves the, the premise of the invisible deck, but never really liked the standard actual pack of cards, rough and smooth deck that you need to use, the way that you reveal that the one card that they name is either reverse, different colour back, whatever version you're using, I never feel is that convincing. And many, many years ago, I developed a version of the Invisible Deck which did away with the deck altogether. It was based on an an idea that I saw in a lecture by Alan Shackson, and I streamlined his idea. And I called it the Invisible Deck Routine, and I've used it to open my stand-up act for years. Basically, a spectator using all the the normal sort of comedy patter and presentation that you, all right, it's hackneyed to us, but lay people still seem to like it because they haven't seen it before, probably, where you have an invisible deck of cards. They eventually choose one, and in my case, I give them a, a single envelope, which they drop the card inside, and they sign the flap, and then moments later, a real version of the card that they've Um, actually freely chosen, is removed from the envelope. It's a very strong trick. The problem that I had, though, was that I could only use it in my stand-up act because the setup required me to have something to to carry the props in. And I really felt that I wanted that type of trick for walkabout, either at tables or in a mix and mingle situation. So I decided to look at the method again. And I've come up with um, a different way of doing it, but which achieves virtually the same trick in fact in some ways it's it's even stronger than my original envelope version in this one you there is no reset you carry the little that you need on you you can you can easily carry it it doesn't get in the take up a lot of pocket space or anything like that you can have all the comedy with the 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 choice of of a card and yet that is the card that will end up in a single examinable envelope in fact and this is one of the strengths of this version over the the previous sort of stand-up version you the spectator can be handed the envelope and if you wish they can take the real card out of the envelope and it'll be the one that they've chosen it's very straightforward to do it's called imagination and it's a new release that i brought out last month it's um, one of my premier e-routine downloads it costs 10 pounds go and have a look at, at the demo on my website Uh, And consider getting it because, as I say, there's no reset. It's straightforward to do. You can do it surrounded. And I've used it masses. I I do it every time I go out to work now if the situation is right. And I found it to be unbelievably effective. So do go on along to my website and have a look at that because I think it might be something that you could easily incorporate in your shows too. The mobile phone must be the most all-pervasive electronic gadget in the world today. Everybody seems to have one. And for a lot of people, it virtually never leaves their hand. They are referring to it constantly and they are using it for just about everything, from looking at stuff on the internet, text, even a call, shut of the thought, taking photos and so on. And for us as magicians, this has changed I think quite dramatically the the way that some people like to appreciate what we do. Now if you go to a big theatre show, then sometimes there's an announcement that no filming is allowed. Now, in the old days, of course, this this wouldn't have been on a phone. It would have been actually maybe a camcorder or something like that. But now, phones being so small, people can whip them out of their pocket and can make a, a video recording of very good quality at the drop of a hat. So they have to make announcements, don't they, to say, do not film. Similarly, if you go to the cinema, they say, you know, don't use your phone during the film. The screen's too bright. You put it away. Turn the sound off. You know, uh, uh, submerge yourself in in the film. Don't ruin it for others with your phone. They actually have to tell people, for crying out loud, to put the darn thing away. Now for magicians, of course, what's now happening is, because people are increasingly wanting to record just about every aspect of their life, either through video or through um, still photos, the phone, and because they've got the phone in their hand, the phone becomes an instrument that they can instantly turn to that recording device, of course. So for us as magicians, not having a big show where they can make an announcement, you'll find yourself at a table or with a group you're entertaining, and you suddenly notice that somebody is holding up their phone and they're holding it very still. And you realise that they are videoing what you're performing. Now, in the old days, I can remember having discussions with magicians, particularly children's entertainers, who used to get very upset if they arrived at a kid's party and up on a tripod was a camcorder... And the parents were going to film the party, and I had discussions about whether this should be allowed or not. I always used to feel yes, it should. I think you should let them. Half the time, they're not really filming you; they're just they're just filming the the enjoyment that, that the children are having at the party. They're not just trying to make a recording of your act in order to sell it on the internet. You're not that famous, or most of us aren't, anyway. So that's not that's not the case. I think don't think it matters. So this sort of all-pervasive nature of the mobile phone being used as a video camera ups the ante on that particular situation doesn't it because people can pull it out video and put it away again very quickly do you mind that i don't personally have that much of a problem with it Uh, I, i don't see that it matters i think it's a little bit it's a little bit rude perhaps that they could say do you mind if i film this but they, they rarely do that because it's everything is they make the assumption that everything that they want to do, particularly with their phone, they are allowed to do. They never consider that you might object to being filmed or that you're uncomfortable with your magic being, especially if it's at a disadvantageous angle. You might be worried that your magic is going to be exposed, that the method will be seen when they look back at it. The other way to look at this, though, is to think what an opportunity it is. I mean, there are quite a few tricks now, aren't there, where we are using spectators' phones as one of our props, where something where you take a photograph and then the spectator chooses a card and when they look at the picture that you took of them before they chose the card, now they're holding a card. You know, that, that type of thing, we are, after all, making use of the mobile phone, so the fact that somebody's filming I I don't think it, we should look upon it as being the enemy but as good public, good publicity and if they are filming from a bad angle then you need to sort out your angles because if they can see it with a camera and look at it afterwards then surely they can see it in real time too all right with a camera they can slow it down if they really really want to or watch it multiple times So there's more scrutiny than you get when you're actually doing it live. But nevertheless, if your technique is so poor that you're worried about that, then you need to up up the standard of your technique, I would suggest. So I think, in a way, we shouldn't worry about about this. It is all part of the way it is now. I, I have more problem with people who, when you approach a table, are rude enough not even to look up from updating their Facebook status on their phone. That I find much ruder than somebody excited in the moment, amused by the fact their husband's getting his finger chopped off in a finger chopper, and they've got to film it. I think that's a good thing. It it creates a memory, and you're part of that memory, and they will talk about you. And if you've done a good job, and, and the film comes out well, as it should do if you're doing a good job in the live situation, then actually it could really be something very positive. I was thinking the other day how funny it is that... Lay people, so often in an attempt to provide an explanation for the magic that that we do, they seem to still fall back on hackneyed cliches for uh, an explanation. Things like, "Well, of course, it's the quickness of the hand that deceives the eye," or "It's up your sleeve," or "Well, it's all done with mirrors," or "It's all done with threads," or this this type of. Um, sort of explanation not an explanation at all it's just a way of i suppose of them trying to come to terms with the fact that they don't understand what you've just done in a way it's a kind of a compliment if the best they can think of is it's up your sleeve then you must be doing okay i guess but it is strange isn't it that they don't mostly people anyway unless they've got an interest in magic and they can, they've they gone on YouTube and they've started to do a bit of research on the way tricks work. And and you do get this, particularly with card magic, I've found. There are some laypeople who, they're not magicians as such, but they're very interested in magic, interested enough to look on YouTube and find some explanations of magic. And they start to get an idea about card palming or forcing or false cuts and shuffles. and They, they, they don't do it themselves and they... They may not always recognise it, but they've got an idea of some of the background information that normally lay people don't have. And so they're a step ahead. But I think most people aren't actually really like that. They only have a casual interest. They don't think about magic for most of the time that they're going about their daily chores. It's only when they suddenly see a magician. And so when they're surprised by something that's happened, they suddenly revert back to, you know, these sort of, Hackneyed, cliched explanations. I, I do find it funny though, the way that lay people don't have much imagination when it comes to how things are done. I remember going to um, one of Darren Brown's live shows. I think it was something like about the second tour that he did. And he came to to Bristol, and I went with a friend of mine to, to watch the show, and it was a great show. And we were fascinated because we were sitting in amongst all the lay people. And as we were going out, there were, there were two girls who were talking about about him. And one said to the other, well, it must be mind-reading because there's absolutely no other explanation. That was so revealing, wasn't it? It had to be mind-reading what he'd done, even though Darren says it, said in the show, I am not a mind-reader. I may be able to influence you and make you think certain things and do certain things, but I'm not a mind-reader. But that was not, obviously, something that those girls had taken in because to them, because they had absolutely no way of working out, even beginning to work out how he'd done some of the the stunts that he'd pulled, then they said, well, it must be mind reading because there's no other explanation. And so maybe this this gives us a clue as to why that people fall back on these cliches. It's because they literally have no concept of how We are doing the stuff that we do. I mean, you get this people saying this to you. Well, that's amazing. I've absolutely no idea how you could that is possible. How could you possibly do that? It it is impossible. Well, it clearly isn't impossible because you've just done it. But to them, it is impossible. And in a way, that was why it was a shame when the masked magician, though all those years ago, was revealing secrets of how magic was done. Because although, as we know as magicians. For every plot or presentation, there are so many different ways that you could actually achieve it. Lay people don't realise, at least they don't seem to, that there are lots of different methods that could be used to create basically the same trick. They assume that the sawing a lady in half, that there is a method, just one. And so if the masked magician then says, this is how you saw a lady in half, then they think, that they've got the whole picture and I remember when lay people when the master magician was at his height and a lot of people were watching him and I would get uh, lay people say to me oh I bet you're annoyed that uh, he's giving away how you do your tricks and I said I used to say well he's not giving away my tricks because what you must have to understand is that for every trick that he shows you there are lots of different ways to do it and if he shows you a trick that you think I'm doing, well." I'm probably doing it in a completely different way. So it's not really going to help you, is it? So it was almost like there was this thought that there is every trick has only one method, which again comes back to the fact that they don't have any magical knowledge and therefore no imagination about how things might be done. And when you think how complex our methods are sometimes, how we mix principles, we might use a bit of sleight of hand with a bit of psychology with a bit of pure bluff with a throw in there into the mixer a special gimmick of something that looks normal but actually isn't you know we are making it very difficult for them to work it out which of course is the whole point in many ways but it just goes to show you that this is why I think they do end up with the cliched hackneyed image of it's up your sleeve it's because they just don't have any other concept of how you could possibly be doing what you do and long may that continue quite frankly well, there you go. That's another podcast finished. I hope you've enjoyed the topics that, that I've discussed. And I've mentioned this before, but if you if you have um, a topic that you would like me to, to talk about, then do let me know. Um, I'm very happy, if I haven't already sort of covered it, to, to have a go at uh, giving my views on it. And I would love to hear from you. So magic at markleverage.co.uk is the email to, to write to me. And I hope to hear from you, you soon. See you next time.